Welcome to A Great Big City News, Episode 60. Today, Times Square, Bob Dylan, and the ASPCA. Visit agreatbigcity.com slash support to learn how to support New York City local news and allow us to keep bringing you this podcast. Individuals can make a one-time or monthly contribution, and businesses can place a banner ad on the website or a variety of audio ads on the podcast. Visit agreatbigcity.com slash advertising to see pricing and learn more. I am Trace Gilton, founder of A Great Big City. It's been another long week in the city with coronavirus still having a massive impact. But this week was the first time that the tide seems to be turning and some of the numbers seem to be working in the city's favor. With daily updates coming in from the national, state, and local levels, the numbers surrounding the disease can begin to blend together. But the reality is that as of April 13th, 7,349 New Yorkers have died as a result of the disease. In the city as a whole, there have been more than 100,000 cases and over 200,000 positive cases in New York State. Most recently, Governor Cuomo announced that the curve has begun to flatten, a term that's only recently entered the popular vocabulary, but it means that new daily hospitalizations are beginning to hold steady or decline, which shows that the disease is no longer accelerating and growing across the city. Although sadly it does still mean that nearly 800 people are still dying each day across the state. Given the previous experience with the disease overseas, the number of deaths are expected to lag behind the number of hospitalizations, as people most impacted by the disease enter the hospital and then those severe cases stay in the hospital longer, and unfortunately a percentage succumb to the disease. As those daily figures begin to decline, it only reinforces the fact that social distancing, which fully went into effect on March 22nd with people staying home from work and non-essential businesses shutting down across the state, has now resulted in a slew of new cases not occurring, and people who were asymptomatic, showing no signs of the disease and not feeling like they should stay at home, were not out in public or on public transportation spreading the disease to others who may be more immunocompromised. With the trend starting to move downward, everyone's mind is now turning to how to restart things. How do you restart the economy? How do we get back to a normal semblance of life? And on Tuesday, April the 13th, a joint press conference was held with the governors of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Delaware and Rhode Island who formed a multi-state council that will evaluate the techniques we'll use to move forward and reopen society and maintain all of our economies in a healthy way until a vaccine is widely available. Shortly after that press conference, Massachusetts also announced that they will be joining that multi-state coalition. And on the West Coast, California, Oregon, and Washington have formed a similar coalition called the Western States Pact. On the East Coast, that coalition will be comprised of one health expert, one economic development expert, and the chief of staff from each state. And their objective is described as working together to develop a fully integrated regional framework to gradually lift the state's stay-at-home orders while minimizing the risk of increased spread of the virus. The coalition will rely on the best available scientific, statistical, social, and economic information 
to manage and evaluate the situation. With stay-at-home orders being lifted and non-essential businesses reopening only when consistent with a timeline that makes sense for the healthiest outcome for the public. During the announcement, Governor Cuomo made clear that the coalition is still open to any other state that would be interested in joining, as Massachusetts did after the announcement. And right now, both the East Coast and the West Coast coalitions encompass the greatest number of people who have been under stay-at-home orders and have had the greatest impact as a result of the disease. So with that bit of good news and the coronavirus update this week, my heart goes out to everyone who has been impacted by the disease, as it's nearly unthinkable to imagine the extra grief that would be held on top of the historic strangeness of being under stay-at-home orders. Unfortunately, it's an impact that will likely weigh on the minds of the city for a long time. If the impact of the disease and the stay-at-home orders and the general upheaval of the city's life is having an impact on your mental health, the city offers a toll-free call-in line where you can call or text with professionals who can talk you through a crisis situation or just a time when you're dealing with dark or depressive thoughts. The number's available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-888-NYC-WELL, 1-888-692-9355, or text WELL to 65173. To view the online chat, go to nyc.gov slash nycwell. If you're cooped up at home or have seen something strange out on the streets, You can also call the Great Big City's new hotline and share your story. Dial 646-470-2464, where you can leave a voicemail message or send in a text message, and your story may be used on the next podcast. Now let's learn about this week in New York City history. One hundred and sixteen years ago, on April eighth, nineteen o four, Longacre Square is renamed Times Square. Although it's showing up historically empty these days, Longacre Square, where Broadway cuts through and makes alternating triangles in an open space of an intersection in Midtown, has long been a place to gather. But it didn't always go by the famous Times Square. The area of the city that sits atop the previous intersection of three different streams was named after Longacre in London because both of those Longacre areas had ties to the horse carriage industry. When the New York Times decided to move to their new building, the open area was named in honor of them. And although it was named after the New York Times, the newspaper would not move into the new headquarters between Broadway and 7th at 42nd Street until January 1905 and then would move on to new, larger offices eight years later in 1913. The renaming of Times Square also brought along a New York tradition, a dropping of the Times Square New Year's Eve ball. The first ball drop was held on December 31, 1907, and the tradition has continued even after the New York Times left Times Square. The former center of the city's horse carriage industry is now the most visited place in the world, and sees over 131 million pedestrians yearly. One hundred and seven years ago, on April 9, 1913, the first game is played at Ebbets Field, 
It was the new stadium in Brooklyn for the team that would later be renamed the Brooklyn Dodgers. They lost to the Philadelphia Philadelphians 1-0. The stadium stood at Bedford Avenue and Sullivan Place, just east of Prospect Park, and was used by various Brooklyn teams up until 1957. The stadium's demise was fueled by the growing popularity of the Dodgers, who needed a larger stadium, but were unwilling to relocate elsewhere in the city. The Dodgers then moved to Los Angeles after the 1957 season. Ebbets Field was demolished and the Ebbets Field apartments were constructed at the site and 10 years later were renamed in honor of Brooklyn Dodger Jackie Robinson. One hundred and fifty-four years ago, on April 10, 1866, the ASPCA is founded in New York City, becoming the oldest animal welfare organization in the United States. The ASPCA exists to give a voice to vulnerable animals and began at a time when workers would beat horses in the street and dogfighting was conducted within the city. The organization has only grown over the decades, and in addition to their rescue efforts, they also promote legal protections for animals, provide spay and neuter services, run animal hospitals, and place rescued animals in new homes through their adoption centers. As part of the impact that the coronavirus has had on the city, the ASPCA has launched pet food distribution centers in New York City, Los Angeles, Miami, and Asheville, North Carolina. Within the city, the Pet Food Distribution Center serves all five boroughs, but be sure to make an appointment before going to pick up any food. In addition to helping animals, the ASPCA has also responded to the crisis by donating some of their medical equipment. When Wyckoff Heights Medical Center in Brooklyn received ventilators that didn't have the necessary tubing, the ASPCA's animal hospitals were able to locate and donate compatible hoses and connectors allowing their ventilators to be put to use in the hospital. The organization also made a donation of 2,000 face masks to NYU Langone Hospitals and practices proper social distancing and face covering procedures when handing out pet food at their donation locations. 59 years ago, on April 11, 1961, Bob Dylan plays in the Greenwich Village for the first time. After a few months of hard times in New York town, Bob Dylan played his first professional gig at Gertie's Folk City on April 11, 1961. Playing as the opening act for John Lee Hooker, Dylan was supposedly eyed for the position after Woody Guthrie heard him play at a get-together. The venue had only been open a year, but would go on to debut many of the acts that would define the sound of the 60s and 70s folk revival. Dylan's career would quickly take off, and by October 1961, Dylan would be signed to Columbia Records. Gertie's Folk City was located at 11 West 4th Street, now the site of the Hebrew Union College campus. 115 years ago on April 12, 1905, the Hippodrome Theater opens. The theater at 6th Avenue between 43rd and 44th Street with 5,300 seats, a stage large enough to hold 1,000 performers at once, and an 8,000-gallon glass water tank that could rise from below the stage. The original building was closed and demolished in 1939 and was a vacant lot until 1952, 
when a new 19-story building was built on the site and named the Hippodrome Building in honor of the original theater. The extravagant theater was built by Frederick Thompson and Elmer Dundee, who were also the creators of the Luna Park Amusement Park in Coney Island. 103 years ago on April 12, 1917, the Bijou Theater opens on 45th Street at Broadway. Originally hosting live performances, it would become New York's first theater to show all cartoons in 1935, but quickly began to reincorporate movies and live theater. After closing from 1937 to 1943, it again became a movie house, was downsized, became an art house theater, and showed a variety of movies and live performances until 1982 when it was demolished. The Marriott Marquis Hotel now stands at that location. Thirty-eight years ago, on April 12, 1982, three CBS employees are killed after encountering a gunman abducting a woman on top of the Pier 92 parking garage. The brutal killings raised suspicion, and the killer was found to have been a supposed hired hitman who was targeting two federal witnesses in a diamond fraud case. Erwin Margulies had attempted to defraud investors and was afraid that two women had evidence against him. In later court documents, a lawyer for Margolis would admit that he had helped arrange the murders of Margaret Barbara and Jenny Sue Chin by paying Donald Nash $8,000 per murder in December 1981. Jenny Sue Chin was abducted in Ridgewood, Queens on January 5, 1982 by a masked person and her vehicle was discovered nine days later abandoned on West 36th Street in Manhattan, but her body has never been recovered and she is presumed dead. On April 12th, CBS employees Leo Kuranuki, Robert Schulz, and Edward Benford spotted Nash abducting Barbara in a similar manner and attempted to intervene, but were shot when they approached. Nash was convicted of murder and conspiracy and received a 100-year prison sentence. He would go on to kill again in prison when he sliced the neck of a fellow prisoner at Auburn Correctional Facility in 1994. He died behind bars in 2016 at the age of 80. Margolis was sentenced for fraud and for instigating the murders of Chin and Barbara as a cover-up. Shortly after beginning a 28-year sentence at Metropolitan Correctional Center in Manhattan, Margolis allegedly again tried to hire a hitman by offering a fellow inmate $15,000 to kill an attorney representing the company that Margolis had defrauded. Jacqueline Barba would go on to sue assistant U.S. attorney Stephen Schlesinger, claiming that he was responsible for revealing that her daughter and Jenny Sue Chin were acting as informants and then failing to provide proper police protection. But the lawsuit was dismissed by the U.S. Court of Appeals. Seventeen years ago, on April 13, 2003, subway tokens are phased out and replaced by the Metro card. The transition had begun from 1993 to 1997 when MetroCard-compatible turnstiles were installed citywide. The previous form of payment, the subway token, had debuted in 1953 at a cost of 15 cents per ride, but data showed that by 2003 only 9% of riders were using tokens. During the phase-out, no more tokens were sold from April 13th 
and could only be used until May 4th, when new fares would go into effect. Bus riders could continue using tokens through December 31st, but would require an extra 50-cent fee. The retirement of the Metro card is now quickly approaching, with the MTA planning to completely phase out the card by 2023 in favor of the new Omni card, which stands for One Metro New York. The Omni system will use cards with embedded chips or mobile phones with payment apps that only need to be waved over top of a card reader at the turnstile. The first card readers began testing on Staten Island buses and on the 456 between Grand Central and the Barclays Center, with the rollout then slowly expanding across the MTA system through 2023. Nine years ago, on April 16, 2011, area code 929 enters service. Area code 212 usually represents New York in people's minds. Area code 929 is one of the newer additions to the city, and it overlaps with 718 and 347. When announcing the new area code, Newstar estimated that 718 and 347 numbers would have been exhausted by 2021, but with the addition of 929, that estimate was extended to 2029. New York's most recent area code is 332, which was assigned to Manhattan in 2017. With the shift toward mobile phones and the portability of numbers, New York area codes can now travel across the country, bringing along the legacy of having once been assigned to someone living within New York City. Two years ago, on April 14, 2018, David Buckle, a prominent gay rights lawyer and environmental advocate, sets himself on fire in Prospect Park. In a note left nearby his body in the southwest corner of Prospect Park, David explained that he chose to die by self-immolation in protest and to illustrate the damage that fossil fuels are doing to the environment. He also apologized in advance to those who would discover his burned body. Through his work with Lambda Legal, David was a force to secure and expand the rights of the LGBT community across the country. After a long legal career, he had recently begun focusing on urban composting and environmentalism, building projects at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden and the Red Hook Community Farm. You can visit the Red Hook Community Farm to volunteer and learn more about composting. Visit their website at added-value.org. One year ago, on April 17, 2019, a man is taken into custody after attempting to enter St. Patrick's Cathedral with cans of gasoline. The strange event came just days after both a devastating fire at the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, that investigators think was caused by an electrical short, and a string of arsons at historic churches in Louisiana that resulted in hate crime charges against a 21-year-old. At St. Patrick's, 37-year-old Mark Lamparello faced charges not just in the St. Patrick's incident, but also in New Jersey, where two days earlier he refused to leave a Newark church. Before heading to St. Patrick's, Lamparello reportedly purchased a $2,800 plane ticket to Italy that was set to leave the day after he was apprehended outside St. Patrick's. 
In December, Lamparello had gone to New Jersey police with claims that he was being stalked by a police vehicle outside his home. In July 2019, Lamparello was declared mentally unable to stand trial. Both his family and his lawyer detailed his erratic behavior in the months prior to his arrest, and Lamparello admitted to police that he had stopped taking his medications prescribed for schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. And 14 years ago, on April 18, 2006, the Roosevelt Island tram suffers mechanical problems, trapping 69 people in two tram cars in the air for seven hours. The outage began at 5.22 p.m., and passenger rescues lasted until the early morning hours, with one car near Manhattan being evacuated via crane and the other via multiple trips up in a rescue basket. After this incident, the tramway ceased operations until September 2006, when it reopened with upgraded infrastructure and supplies stored in each tram car that included emergency water, food, blankets, and a toilet. Coming up next on the Great Big City. This woman bought what she thought was a watermelon, but you won't believe what happened next. <clears throat> Coming up. Would you like to enable desktop notifications? I said no already. Coming up next. Homeowners in Oswego, New York can't believe this one weird trick. Other news websites are quick to trick their readers with clickbait headlines and undercover ads, but a great big city is dedicated to keeping the news straightforward and factual. If a great big city has kept you informed over the years, make a contribution at agreatbigcity.com slash support. And if you're a local business, visit agreatbigcity.com slash advertising to view rates and learn more. Would you like to enable desktop notifications? Oh, not again. Park of the Day. The Ionia Avenue Forest. This small, undeveloped area at Ionia Avenue, Albee Avenue, and Drumgool Road in Staten Island has been a park's property for 55 years and is a small, densely forested triangle of land near the southernmost tip of Staten Island. Here's something you may not have known about New York. NYCHA, the New York Housing Authority, oversees 325 housing developments comprised of 2,418 buildings that house more than 400,000 New Yorkers. Extreme highs and lows for this week in weather history. 92 degrees on April 16, 2002, and a low of 22 degrees on April 12, 1874. Weather for the week ahead will be good for staying inside, with rain possible throughout most days of the week, and temperatures barely approaching 60 degrees during the day. Thanks for listening to A Great Big City. Follow along 24 hours a day on social media at A Great Big City or email contact at agreatbigcity.com with any news, feedback, or topic suggestions. Subscribe to A Great Big City News wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Player FM, or listen to each episode on the podcast pages at agreatbigcity.com slash podcast. If you enjoy the show, subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening and visit our podcast site to see show notes and extra links for each episode. Our intro and outro music is Start the Day by Lee Rosphere, and the concert calendar music is from jukedeck.com. Thanks for being part of a great big city. Music